Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, um, we have so much to thank you for. Lord, it shows us who you are and it shows us who we are and what we can be uh, when we are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we thank you that it is also a practical word. Lord, you help us in our daily walk with you. So Lord, our prayer is, help us please to be doers of the word, not hearers only, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, although, if you're familiar with this passage, um, you'll note that the, the, the passage is principally about prayer. It's prayer, 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 all the way through. But it's probably best known for its instruction about the ministry of healing and the anointing with oil. So I want to give a little bit of background to this ministry. Understanding, and this is my overall understanding, that uh, Jesus, um, having begun to do, to, to do things, just as, just as Luke tells us at the beginning of Acts, all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach, this was then passed on to the church to continue that ministry until Jesus comes again. So we continue the ministry of Jesus in all sorts of settings, in all sorts of cultures, in all sorts of places around the world. But we are to continue the ministry of Jesus. Amongst the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples um, are in what we know as the Great Commission. And I'm going to read that for you. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28. Um, some people have suggested uh, that the first disciples who were later designated by Jesus as apostles, disciples are learners, apostles are those who have been sent. They're sent on a mission. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And uh, some people have said that, that these are, are unique in terms of signs and wonders that it was just for that beginning of the church when the apostles were alive that signs and wonders were appropriate for the church. And this view is somewhat reinforced by the fact that in the early chapters of Acts, it seems that it's only the apostles who are carrying out signs and wonders, who are, and in, which includes um, healing the sick. And uh, as that community was um, dispersed through persecution, we seem see the same picture. The little that we have about that, it seems to be it's the apostles who are praying for the sick and performing miracles. Um, however, uh, if the apostles were obedient to the teaching of Jesus and the commands of Jesus that we've just read uh, in the Great Commandment, then they will be teaching new disciples everything, absolutely everything that Jesus taught them. So, what did he teach them? Well, have a little look in um, Matthew 10. Uh, you can just listen if you want to. Uh, 
And it says this, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. And then later it says, um, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You have received without paying, give without pay. You probably know that more as freely you have received, freely give. So it seems as if this is the command of Jesus and if the apostles were, were true and were faithful to Jesus, they would be teaching new disciples these things. And um, some 20 years after the birth of the church, we find the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, uh, teaching them how to use spiritual gifts properly. Uh, they were kind of overdoing some things. Uh, and this would include uh, healing in that community. And this seemed to continue as the... Dis sorry, beg your pardon. And um, <coughs> this includes um, spiritual gifts. gifts. But, um, and of course, these gifts were given by the Holy Spirit as he determined. And of course, amongst those were the gifts of healing. So my reading of the New Testament persuades me that from the teaching and example of Jesus that was passed on to the apostles, who would then be teaching others, that this ministry of healing amongst other um, gifts uh, uh, and miracles is the ministry of the church until Jesus comes again. Therefore, some instruction by James here is welcome. So we'll, we'll work through the passage then, uh, bit by bit. There's quite a lot in it, so we need to steam on, really. Um, as I said earlier, in spite of our interest in what James has to say about healing and anointing with oil, we find that it is mainly about prayer. Elsewhere, um, Paul exhorts us to pray at all times, to pray in all circumstances with all types of prayer. So prayer uh, for the Christian is the lifeblood. Doesn't matter what we're doing, prayer is appropriate. Whether we're on our own, whether we're with others, prayer is always uh, appropriate. And um, that would also include praise and thanksgiving. He mentions three conditions in, in which Christians may find themselves. Uh, they might find themselves suffering or in trouble. They might find themselves happy, joyful, cheerful. Uh, and they might also find themselves sick. And notice that the initiative in each of these cases is with the disciples. All right? It is with the person who is sick. Um, so suffering then. The basic response to suffering here is to pray. We are to pray when we're suffering. Suffering can refer to all sorts of troubles and trials. And I'm sure for these Christians, for many of them, their suffering was mainly through persecution. And that would be true of thousands of Christians today around the world. That they, uh, they suffer for the cause of Christ through persecution. And it would seem as if it's increasing as well. But in spite of the fact that sickness is specifically mentioned next, I don't think we should um, eliminate sickness from um, in, in, uh, problems or troubles or suffering that we might pray for ourselves because 
uh, we, we know that uh, um, James is telling us how the ministry of the church uh, should be conducted when it comes to praying uh, for the sick. So then, if uh, in answer to the believer's prayer, God may relieve suffering, um, or he may deal with them as he did with Paul. And you might know that the Apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in the flesh. Um, nobody's quite sure what that means. It could be an illness, it could be a disease, it could be some disablement, or it could be someone uh, who is tiresome and, and uh, putting him under great pressure. Um, he calls, calls it um, a, a messenger from Satan uh, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. But he goes on to say, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And this is Paul's response. He doesn't moan because he's not healed. He says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So in some cases, God may give us the grace to persevere uh, in the midst of our suffering. The next one is happy, cheerful. This doesn't mean um, that we will be cheerful uh, we can only be cheerful when everything in the garden is lovely. That's good, and we should do. We should sing songs of praise when God has blessed us. I don't know about you, but sometimes when we've received a blessing from God, it might come from all sorts of circumstances. It's very easy uh, to get engrossed in the blessing, to be enjoying the blessing, and forget to praise God for it. So we're reminded then, when things are great, when things are good, then we praise God. But also, we are promised peace and joy um, uh, in, that passes human understanding in all circumstances. In other words, that we are promised peace and joy which are inconsistent with our circumstances. And uh, you know that Paul and Silas, when uh, they were imprisoned in Philippi after having cast out a demon from a slave girl that caused a riot and they were put in prison, and we're told that they were put in stocks and their backs were, were bleeding uh, as a result of severe flogging. Now, God had told them to go there. And you could imagine that Paul might have said, oh, we must have got it wrong. We've got it wrong here. We've come here and now we're in prison. But no, they didn't get it wrong. And they knew that they were there for God's purposes. And it said that they prayed and they sung hymns and they worshipped God in that situation. And of course, later... Uh, through all that, uh, through the earthquake and so on, the jailer uh, became a believer. So it's joy that, dis de that defies all circumstances. So we can be joyful in good times, but there is a joy that is deep down that we can praise God in the difficult times. And now we come to the sick person. Still has to take initiative. It's a sick person who takes initiative here. But the command is not to pray, but to pray for the elders, uh, that they will pray over them, pray over the sick. And uh, the elders are responsible for the pastoral oversight in the church, uh, which includes caring for the sick uh, and uh, caring for widows 
and orphans. And um, elders will be spiritual men uh, who are often referred to as pastors and shepherds. Jesus is the great shepherd. Our, our, Our Father God is the great shepherd of the sheep. But church pastors are under shepherds uh, and they should be caring uh, as God is. And there's a strong correlation here between the natural shepherd on the hillside with his sheep and the church pastor. Uh, And that is that the shepherd um, would care for the sheep. He would lead them into good pasture. And if they injured themselves, if they became sick, he would seek to heal them. Uh, If they broke a leg, he would bind up their leg so that it healed and if necessary he would carry the sheep so there's a great correlation between church pastors uh, and and church uh, shepherds uh, and the natural pastor and he would bring healing where he can here the elders represent the church in a sense the elders aren't anything special but they just represent the church indicating that that um, healing is the responsibility of the church So in calling the elders, the sick person is putting confidence in the fact that the healing ministry of Jesus is still going on in the church. Maybe they call for the elders because they're too sick to leave their home. I don't know, because there are other opportunities to pray for people, aren't there? But they're expressing confidence that healing is the ministry of the church. This term, praying over him, it certainly means praying in the proximity of the person who is ill. We know that we can pray for people across continents, across the world, and it can be effective. But here, they are coming together. There's a proximity uh, in praying uh, for people. You're there with them. And it may also mean that they would lay hands on them, Oh, it doesn't say that, of course. And anointing with oil is to be done in the name of the Lord, signifying a divine authority Uh, in which the anointing is done and um, from what we considered early we know that Jesus has delegated his authority to the church we read in Mark's gospel this so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them well the question arises what's the purpose of the oil Well, unfortunately, there isn't much explanation given about the oil. The most we're given is perhaps what James tells us here. But there are three main purposes. Um, Some have thought that it's for medical purposes. Medicine was pretty primitive in those days, of course, but, but oil was used for medical purposes. This is somewhat reinforced by the fact that the parable of the um, Good Samaritan You remember the man who fell among thieves, Uh, he was beaten and robbed and and left for dead probably. Two people passed by, but it was the Samaritan who was really an enemy of the Jews who stopped and and tended to the man. And we know that he um, tended to his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Now the difficulty with this view is that there's no other evidence um, that an anointing with oil um, was a medical process. All right. Secondly, Jesus used visual aids on occasions, like uh, anointing uh, the man who had been born blind, putting he spat on the ground and made some mud, and he put it on the man's eyes. 
And another occasion when there was a deaf man, he put his finger in his ears. But here we find that the, the visual aid is uh, applicable to the, the, the sickness. So it's, it's clay on the eyes, it's fingers in the ears. And, uh, and, and so that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily just a visual aid. Perhaps the most likely explanation is that anointing had a spiritual purpose and it was a symbol of God's powerful presence. In the Old Testament, anointing with oil frequently symbolizes the consecration of people. They are set apart for God's service, for God's purposes. Kings and priests were anointed with oil and our own queen at her coronation was anointed with oil presumably because she was being set apart for the glory of God for God's purposes and also so that she was dedicated to serve her people so that that practice has been understood since those times so here in James it is most likely that the elders would anoint the sick person to symbolize that the person was being set apart for God's particular care and attention special attention and care you might know that today um, commonly oil is seen as a an expression of the Holy Spirit a a visual aid of the Holy Spirit although I don't know that we actually find that in the scriptures but if that's helpful that's fine uh, the fact that many healings recorded in the New Testament are accomplished without anointing with oil um, tells us that it's not an essential accompaniment to praying for the sick but elders may use it it's there it's an invitation uh, to use it when they pray for the sick um, it's important to note that it is the prayer of faith that will save the sick person not the way we go about it right? um, we can get hung up on procedures and um, mechanics of how we pray and sometimes people think they've got a handle on healing because they said oh I've just realized we should anoint them before we pray or we should anoint them after we pray or whatever but it is the prayer of faith that uh, that, that saves the sick person the anointing can help but it is essentially the prayer prayer of faith it's not formula but faith and uh, it has nothing to do with the status of the person praying. Uh, the well-known author Jenny Rees Larkham, some of you may have read her books, was confined to a wheelchair following a severe um, viral disease. And um, then after eight years, she was unexpectedly and instantly healed, not when a big name prayed for her, but I believe it was a girl sitting next to her in a meeting or something. She was a new Christian and she was quite young. And she just asked, can I pray for you? She did, and she was healed instantly. So God is no respecter of persons. Anyone can pray for the sick. Anyone can pray for the sick. James makes specific reference here to the faith of those who are praying. It's the elders who are praying, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. But it can be the faith of the one who is sick. There are instances of both. You remember when the woman... Uh, in the old version says who had an issue of blood right she'd been bleeding for many years and there's a crowd following Jesus and she thought if I can only push through the crowd touch the hem of his cloak 
I will be healed. And she did that. She pushed through and touched the cloak and she was healed. Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? Jesus knew that power had gone out from him. And then, and this is what he says to her. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Not the faith of Jesus or somebody else who may have been with her, but your faith has made you well. Um, some of you may know somebody called Rodney Kingston. He was around in New Frontiers for years. He lives abroad now. But he went out to China with others to do some teaching in the house churches there in the rural areas. And um, one time they, he went to one of these places and um, they gathered all the Christians together, quite a big meeting, and in the middle of the meeting they got all the sick people to come forward and they all lined up. And the person leading the meeting said to, to Rodney, right, you now go and heal them. And um, he felt right outside his comfort zone and even though he'd pray for people at home, he, he, just, he said, I, I, I felt... No, no sense of, of power or, or faith. I just did it because I was obedient. And most of the people were healed. You know, so <laughs> we, we can't work out a formula about these things. But faith plays an important part somewhere. We must remember that, that prayer and anything that we might do to accompany it is not a device uh, that we, whereby we can manipulate God but it is an expression that we believe God is the source of all healing. All healing uh, is from God, and that in his sovereignty he may heal us on these occasions, and that we should rest in his sovereignty, that even if we are not healed, we still rest in him, because God is sovereign. Prayer is more about relationship uh, than it is about results. Right, we've had... Faith, not formula, and it's relationship, not results. And just referring back to what Paul was saying about the thorn in the flesh, his relationship with God was not spoilt in any way because God did not heal him on that occasion. In fact, he found a new mandate uh, for, for preaching so that you know, he, he would glory in his weaknesses because God would be glorified through him. There's something I need to mention here because it's a big part of every one of our lives this morning. In contrast to New Testament times, we have available to us a £60 billion a year National Health Service, which we have all benefited from in some ways, and some of you may be, as they say, under the doctor uh, at this very moment, all right, having the benefit. Now, you know, I am... Uh, convinced that whether we are healed directly through prayer or through uh, the medical profession, God is the source of all healing. And God is pleased when we are healed. He isn't only pleased when somebody has prayed for us and miraculously we have been healed. God is pleased when we are healed. Uh, as the psalmist said, our, our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. We know far more than the psalmist. Right? He, doesn't know, he didn't know about DNA and all the other things that we know about today. And we can say, wow, how wonderfully our bodies are made, how God has made them, and he's made them with self, a self-healing process. Our body very largely heals itself. And I believe the medical profession are just cooperating with God in that wonderful healing process. I believe that the pioneers of medical science have prospered in finding ways to bring healing and help to mankind because 
in the image of the creator. They are creative as well. We are created in God's image. All right? and that means we can be creative and we can be creative for the good of mankind. And so I believe that medical science has been blessed by God uh, because it brings help to mankind. And so I don't believe there should be any conflict between receiving prayer and going to the doctor. You know, some Christians have felt, well, you know, I think I've let God down, I've gone to the doctor and whatever. You know, there are some doctors who are Christians who pray for their patients, but they still give them medicine as well. They do both. They pray for their patients. Just a, a very simple example. I have a headache, you see, and I'll go to you on a Sunday morning. I say, I've got a terrible headache. Will you please pray that this headache will go? And uh, you do. And I've got faith that God's going to heal me. But when I get home, the headache's still there, so I take a couple of paracetamols, see. Have, have, I, have I sort of reneged on my faith? No, not at all. Because God is pleased if I am healed. And who knows what the healing was? So, you know, we have got to be sensible about drugs and medicine and all the rest of it. But I believe that God is pleased when we are healed. Not all are healed. From experience we know that not everyone is healed directly through prayer. And for some who are, um, it has not been instant. Right? We have had to persevere in prayer. And some of the um, forerunners of the charismatic movement, they discovered this. That um, at first when they were praying for the sick, believing that this is what the Lord wanted, um, they didn't see anybody healed. But they persevered in prayer and gradually they saw people being healed. And this can be, this can be so um, on, a, uh, on an individual basis. Sometimes prayer is not instant, but it requires persistent, prolonged prayer. Jesus told his disciples, he said to them, um, about when teaching them a parable about the persistent widow, he said, um, you know, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. All right, so we must keep on praying and not give up. Many of you will know Ben White. I think probably most of you know of him if you don't know him. Many years ago, um, uh, he, had a, 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 he was living in Wallingford, where Fred and Iris were living at the same time. They knew Ben then. And he went into a, a hospital for a simple hernia operation. When he came out, um, he found that any food that he ate did not do him any good. And he, he was quickly losing weight and went right down to uh, eight and a half stone, I think it was. That he had the operation uh, in the November. And the medical profession just gave up on him, said, just go home. And he went home and he was confined to bed. Uh, and then around the February, um, he um, just felt a presence come into his room and went down, managed to get downstairs and realised that he'd been healed. And what had happened was that there'd been persistent prayer for him. His wife Joan and probably Fred and Iris and others had regularly, daily, been pray, praying for Ben. But it took from the November to the February uh, for the answer to come. So we, must, we mustn't give up, you know, walk away and say, well, it didn't happen anyway. No, we must not give up. We must keep, keep praying. James then seems to make a connection between sickness and sin. Um, in the Old, uh, Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, um, there was good reason for thinking this, because when God gave the people the law, 
uh, he said to them that uh, this is the law I'm giving you, but there will be blessings or cursings, all right, or curses. If you obey me, if you do what I, t- I tell you, there will be blessings. But if you don't, there will be curses on you, which may include sickness. And uh, so we, is, we even see um, from uh, the New Testament that this belief was carried over. Many people believe that you were sick because you sinned. And uh, when Jesus and the disciples came upon the man who had been born blind, the one I referred to earlier who had the clay on his eyes, um, this is what the disciples asked. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So I think here Jesus refutes this idea that all sickness comes from sin as a general rule. But I think there are cases when we are responsible for our own sickness or we contribute to it, um, either ourselves or our parents. And uh, we're responsible for illness or even disablement. For example, we know that if we abuse our bodies, uh, be it through tobacco or alcohol or drugs or sexual promiscuity, we are at least contributing to the failure of our bodies. And you could say sin has contributed. But even more shocking, something we discovered in China is that there are many poor people and these people, their only source of income uh, is through begging. And in order to elicit more sympathy from passers-by, they would break the limbs of their babies and distort them so that this distorted baby would be put by the begging bowl so those who came by would be more sympathetic to them. So it is possible for parents uh, to be responsible. And of course, uh, we do know that uh, pregnant women are told lots of don'ts all right, these days, don't take this, don't do this, don't do that, because you might affect your unborn child. So it can, we can be responsible, or even our parents can be responsible. So whether we caused our illness or not, the promise is for forgiveness, you know, even if we have caused our, our illness. We haven't got to say, well, that's it then. No, there is forgiveness. When, when there is prayer, there is forgiveness, and there is healing. And um, confession and prayer. That's what we come to next. There's a sentence here regarding confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another that we may be healed. Now then, supposing we said that our cell meeting, at our cell meetings, an essential part is that we go round one by one and we confess our sins that we have committed since we last met. And, and get people to pray for us. How would you feel about that? Okay? You'd cop out of cell meeting, maybe? All right? Well, if you know anything about John Wesley's class meetings, you know John Wesley, who was a famous preacher in the middle 1500s, great revival um, took place in this country. Thousands of people came to the Lord, and he organized themselves in class meetings. And um, these class meetings were for accountability and discipleship 
where the members of their groups were expected to confess their sins. Let me just read you something from uh, the instructions that they were given. I'm only picking on bits. Um, The design of our meeting is to obey that command of God, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is the instruction, to speak each of us in order, freely and plainly, the true state of our souls, with the faults we have committed in thought, word and deed, and temptations we have felt since our last meeting. To end every meeting with prayer, suited to the state of each one present. And these are essential questions that must be asked everybody. What known sins have you committed since we last met? What temptations have you met with? How were you delivered? What have you thought, said or done of which you doubt whether it be a sin or not? How do you feel about that? Well, they're only trying to be obedient to the word of James to confess your sins one to another. We might say that's not part of our culture. I couldn't do that, couldn't I? But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I I think we know that if we can share a sin with somebody else, then it's the beginning of our healing. You see, an act of sin may be the result of a spur-of-the-moment weakness, caught off our guard, okay? And not something we're going to repeat necessarily, but some sins go deep. Uh, They become persistent and they can lead to addiction. We know that. We give the devil a foothold and it can lead to addiction. And if you're addicted to something, you're most likely going to keep keep it secret um, because you're ashamed of it. You're ashamed of of letting other people know. But uh, it's well known that if people want to be free from addictions, then the first step is disclosure. That's the word that is used. Somebody must be told. It must come out in the open. Otherwise, it will be a secret and you'll be struggling with your secret forever after. So it must be disclosed. In other words, there needs to be confession. Uh, Confession, perhaps first of all, to those who love you. Uh, Men have found who have been addicted by pornography that they've got to tell their wife, first of all. The The wife they've been hiding it all from. But in this case, uh, we are to tell the church in some way um, because the church will hold us accountable. Uh, And it's very powerful. It's very powerful. It's not the end. There may be other ministry that has to take place to help people with addictions, but uh, it's the beginning. And, And so the body of Christ can play a big part in this. This is not denying that God may heal you without the disclosure, but in most cases it is the first rung of the ladder uh, to being delivered. We then go on and it says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power and effectiveness. Well, who is the righteous person? Who's the righteous person that's going to do the healing? Well, we first have to see how God sees us. Firstly, as believers in Jesus Christ, all right, we have been declared righteous by our Heavenly Father. Uh, there is a divine exchange which takes place when we are saved. And um, Paul tells us this in, in Ephesians, so, sorry, in uh, Corinthians. For our sake, he, that's God, made him to be sin, that's Jesus to be sin, to take 
the punishment for our sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness is imparted to us, it's imputed to us who did not deserve it. A modern translation said, God took the sinless Christ and poured our sin into him and in exchange gave us his righteousness. So before God, at the moment we are saved, we are righteous. We are righteous. But secondly, having been made righteous, we need to live righteously. We need to seek to live righteously. And it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong pursuit uh, because it's the, the, the process of sanctification, of being made holy, where the Holy Spirit works on us. But it must be in our hearts. It must be in our hearts uh, to live righteously. There must be integrity. There must be integrity. And the Apostle John calls it walking in the light. We must walk in the light of God and all that God declares us to be. And if we've sinned, we must confess it. And uh, therefore, we should not take praying for others, we should not take it lightly. Just imagine that I'm going to pray for somebody and there's some sin that's been lurking around and I've really not brought it to God, I've not confessed it and I'm about to pray for somebody and what happens? The devil says, you can't do that. You know, you're not righteous. You're not righteous. You've sinned. You know, what I want to be able to say is, yes, you know, I, I am a sinner. Right? But, but you know, Jesus Christ has forgiven them all. They're all covered by the blood of Jesus. I am righteous in God's sight. But we must have integrity if we're going to do that. And um, you know, we, we, um, we should not um, in, in any way eliminate ourselves from praying for others. Um, lastly, the example of Elijah. He says he's a, a man with a nature like ours. A man just like us. When we read about the life of Elijah with all the miracles and things and especially um, his contest with the prophets of Baal, um, I, I won't go into it now because of time, but most of you will know about it. It was just an amazing result of that contest and it caused the people to leave their idol worship and come over uh, to the side of God. Um, but Elijah was not just, wasn't a superhero. Right? He was flawed like us. Like he had his doubts. Um, he, he, he lacked faith on occasions. He was ready to give up. He ran away from God. But God was still prepared to use him. And the point of what James is saying here, we should not eliminate ourselves because we think we're a nobody. I mean, we'll get the leaders to pray or you know, if some special preacher comes, you know, he can pray for the sick. No, we can all pray for the sick, all right? because we are righteous in God's eyes, all right? And in our hearts, we're seeking to live righteously. So we qualify to pray for the sick. Any believer can pray for the sick. Remember, as I said, it was a, a young new Christian who prayed for Jenny Reese Larkham and was healed, all right? So anyone can pray for the sick. If we're taking anything from the life of Elijah, it is his earnestness and his zeal for God's honour. So whether we anoint with oil or not, clearly prayer for one another is an important ministry of the church, either on a one-to-one -one basis in our small groups or in the larger congregation. And we must not neglect it. We must not neglect it. So I'm going to close there. And um, what I'd like to do is that um, 
I would like us to pray for anyone who's sick or for any other concern that you have and um, that you be prepared to come forward uh, at the front here and then I'll ask some others who are comfortable praying with, with, uh, with folk to come forward and pray for you. We're not going to anoint with oil today, all right? Um, but, but what I would say is, if you are sick and you have a conviction that you should call for the elders to anoint you with oil, please do it. Please call for the elders. That's what it says. Do it. But this morning, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, if you would like some prayer this morning, uh, please do that. So let's all stand. All right. <clears throat> I'll pray, Margaret will play something quietly and softly and then please come forward. Don't be shy in coming forward. Heavenly Father, Lord we thank you for the kingdom of God that burst into this world when Jesus walked the earth. Thank you Father God that the kingdom of God comes. Lord when we cast out demons, when we heal the sick, when we cleanse the lepers, the kingdom of God is among us. And Lord, thank you that the church uh, is a wonderful expression of that kingdom of God here among us. So, Father God, Lord, give us the courage to come forward. and Give us the courage, Lord. And Holy Spirit, anoint us uh, to pray for the sick, to pray for those who are in need. Lord, that you might be glorified, Lord, and uh, that they may go home rejoicing. Father God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Okay. So, please, come forward.